Okay, welcome. Um, we'll start. Time is here. Uh, in honor for those who are here on time, we'll start. If someone else comes, they miss the beginning. Um, I just wanted to mention, yeah, yes, briefly, since we, we talked, there was quite some comments about, about the, the sunshine in this part of the world and stuff yesterday. So I wanted to mention two interesting Ellen White quotes, since it's kind of, yeah, we'll talk about Ellen White. This is not really the topic, but. One, two interesting statements. Uh, one of the statements she comes with is that um, um, <laughs> about this, uh, how to keep the Sabbath, you know, in the north. You know, I was living actually in the very north where there is no sun in the winter and it's not. So a statement in, like, talk in connection with that type of question, she said that um, uh, you are not supposed to, to live out in, in that kind of place. Um, but actually, I've heard this from many people, but... Um, I'm not sure if it's really true, actually, because I've tried to find the quote, and I haven't found it. So I'm wondering if this might be, until I find it now, I will kind of think that it's one of the Ellen White apocrypha, because you have quite some quotes, actually. It's funny, you can find some of them, like, on White Estate. Many, you know, another one is, like, you know, Scandinavia is the safest place to live in the time of them. You know, that's a quote. I've never seen it, but many people say. Some say the same with Switzerland or France or whatever. You have many things like this, especially, you can imagine, before we got technology like today, when it was so easily accessible, all the writings of Ellen White, in her time, like there were probably a lot of rumors like this. Anyway, so it's good to know, there are a lot of misunderstandings about Ellen White, because simply she never said it, or it's completely taken out of context, <laughs> or completely, so that's actually a good lesson to take with us. But uh, the second quote, the, um, in regards to the sunshine, uh, to give you another one, is, uh, I thought it was quite, quite funny. Uh, she says, um, that the most glorious sunset, the most beautiful sunset she ever saw, that was actually when she was in Scandinavia. She was, she didn't say actually which country it was. She was traveling between Christiania or Oslo, as it's called today, and Gothenburg. And on, the, on that ride, she saw the most beautiful, and this one, I tell you, this is real. This one is real. I, I could give you it in two seconds from my computer, give it a reference and everything. So I asked it was a little funny. Since you're here, you know, we have some nice parts with the sun as well, so maybe you will see a nice sunset if you're lucky. Otherwise, you can come back another time, or if you listen online, you can come and visit one time and see a beautiful sunset here in Scandinavia. Um, anyway, another thing I just wanted to mention briefly, as kind of, you know, it's, a little it's always good to be early, then you get more, right? This, this was the lady, for those of you who were here, maybe all of you weren't there, but for the spotlight yesterday, I mentioned this, this is Gladys Kubrock which is uh, the oldest living relative of Ellen White. I had the privilege to meet her. I, I got her contacts through, through White Estate. Um, and uh, as I was working on the research of the, of the book, I went there to, to have an interview with her. A lot of questions I took all the time I had, all the opportunities I had. She's 93 years old. She's still, you know, she's turning 94 in like two months. Uh, she's, uh, you know, fresh, clear in her mind, up and going. She's playing the piano. She is on Facebook, and it's really, really nice idea. I'm a friend of Facebook, How is and she, a um, she is the she's the granddaughter of Willie White, which is the only. Ellen White has four children, and he is the only one that got children himself. Um, and his oldest daughter, oldest child, is Ella Robinson, which wrote stories of my grandmother. You might have heard of the book. It's a really nice book, written for children especially. But it's also nice for us that it's a little older. And so basically, Ella Robinson is her mother. Both her parents worked for, they really, knew, you know, they worked for the White Estate. They got personal testimonies from Ellen White, from God, through Ellen White, that had a 
important role in their lives. Very interesting story. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, I mentioned yesterday that, uh, yeah, so after I you know, wrote the book, I sent it to her. Like really short afterwards, I think like in a few days she read the whole book and she really liked it. She wrote this email back, you know, really nice actually put it online with her permission. And she really helps me to get in touch with people and she says she almost couldn't sleep, you know, you know she was so anxious to get this message out. And, and, and uh, she says this is just what the world need right, needs right now. And she has many connections, you know, white estate people know her and she writes them, hey, you should check this out, this book, you should have. So it's really, really nice, really a blessing. She's helping and praying and, you know, supporting in, in the way she can, even though, of course, she's, she's, she's old and, and but she, she wants to, to promote this, this work. Anyway, one thing I just want to mention with her, I think one of the questions I asked her when I interviewed her was, you know, uh, how would you describe Ellen White as a person? And, you know, of all the people in the world, she's the one, or at least one of the ones that probably would give you the best, more accurate answer, I believe, to that question that knows more inside information, family background, everything, you know. Um, and this is what she said. This is her exact words. She said, Right away, you know, all the interview, I didn't tell her anything before what, what I was going to ask her, you know, so you just came there some while I was driving and this and that, it was just very natural, just very, you know. But this is what she says, she says, a lovely person, a beautiful person. And then she, she says, and what shall I say? And she stopped for a little bit and she said, I just wish I could be more like her. And it was very beautiful also after getting to know her because she was a very nice lady. And uh, so for, to, for me, after getting to know her, seeing her in many different contexts, also talking with people that knew her, made an even stronger impression. Anyway, bottom line, I think when you get to know Ellen White and her messages, you get a very different, much more positive picture uh, than, than many have of this um, gift that God has given us, this prophet for, for this generation. And that's really, you know, it's really a gift, you know. I, I, that's something I really, sometimes we don't think about it like that. And sometimes, rightfully so, because maybe we have an experience with someone that, take Ellen White's writings and come and hit us in the head and, you know, they take this completely out of context and this and that. It's so many, you know, it's, she, Ellen White writes, um, she's very, very balanced and so much wisdom in what she writes. She, she writes, there is in human tendency, in human, sorry, there is in human nature a tendency to run to extremes and from one extreme to another. Many are fanatics. So many times, you know, it's good just to, and as I said, you know, you have many Ellen White apocryphas, many statements that she never even said and some might be similar to something she said, but it's completely, you know, so it's good to check out. When you get to know her, you get a very, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a gift, it's a blessing. It's testimonies for the church, not against the church. It seems like we sometimes think that's the case. It's for the church, and we need, we need to appreciate this gift. And really, you know, this is a prophet for this generation. That's the title of the seminar and the book as well. A call to receive God's gift and go home. And, you know, this year, this very year, 2015, it's 100 years since her death. And I firmly believe, if we only believed in Ellen White, if we read her writings and appreciated it, took it to heart as we should, we wouldn't have been here. In a short time, we would have finished the work and went home. You know, we would have wrapped it up, we would have been home. So I believe, you know, just the fact that we are still here today, 31st of December 2015, testifies to the fact that we haven't appreciated the counsel from this prophet for this generation as we should have. And so therefore really what I'm trying to contribute to, there's many good stuff out there, but I try to contribute with basically a call, an appeal to, let's really appreciate this as we should. And personally, I can say that, 
you know, I've been very, in so many ways, in all, I've been very blessed by, by writing, you know, he's my favorite author, I've been blessed all part of my life, physically, mentally, spiritually, you know, I don't know, I think it's likely that my mother would not have been an Adventist if it wasn't for Ellen White, and uh, then I would <laughs> probably not have existed at all, you know? and even though she, even though I was born, you know, if it wasn't for Ellen White, I could have been a completely different place, I don't know, I've been tremendously blessed. But still, even though I always really believe in Ellen White and have been blessed, is as I've been working and like it's the last like the last year I've learned a lot to and see, hey, I have maybe not been blessed and benefited in the way I could have, because there is so many blessings that God's given us through this gift. And and that's also what I see. I think generally even among faithful Adventists that believe in Ellen White and read Ellen White, I think we haven't benefited from this gift in the way we, we should have and, and could. So that's also a burden I have to try to say, hey, let's really understand what, and that's really the focus, you know, what role is this supposed to have? What, what role should it have in our life? You know, we have the Bible, of course, it's not to take the place of the Bible, uh, but how should they work together? What, what, what is the role? Uh, so that's some things that is important, very important question to ask ourselves. And, and yeah, by the way, those of you coming in now, if you could help, maybe if you raise your hand, you can take one of the handouts or keep one for myself. And uh, so if you haven't gotten one yet, raise your hands. We'll, we'll use this, some, some powerful quotes here um, that we will look at. Okay, so that's a, a little introduction. We will focus on uh, a little bit why another prophet. Why should, you know, because uh, the statement that was in the, in, the, in the workshop description, it is quote number five on the handout, which, by the way, those of you listening online, you can also, you should also be able to download it on all yours or wherever you found the recording. It says in quote 5, as the end draws near and the work of giving the last warning to the world extends, it becomes more important for those who accept present truth to have a clear understanding of the nature and influence of the testimonies. So this question is more important to ask ourselves than ever before. How? Why is it important? What role should it have? And, you know, we have limited time, but we'll get to some of these things uh, in the time we have together now. But before we do that, kind of as we have had an interaction, let's, let's have a word of prayer before we get into this topic. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to come together and to consider these things. Lord, this is a very, very important topic, and I just pray that you may lead us now, the time we have, also those who are listening online. Help us, Lord, to understand how you want us to do these things. Lord, we, we may have our ideas and opinions, but Lord, just help us to see how do you want us to do these things, and help us to, to, uh, to be benefited by the instruction, the gift that you have given us, in this generation that you gave to us um, 100 years ago, um, uh, or, uh, yeah, roughly, uh, in, uh, December, or actually December 1844, you first gave this gift, um, uh, great gift to your last church, to your remnant people. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, there was a, there is a story, of, there was a man that went to, in, in, you know, large city and he went to this second-hand uh, bookstore went there to, to look for for books and so he asked you know in the shop there he asked for the religious books so now you know he was told to go there to the back of the shop there so he went over there and he was looking but he couldn't seem to find what he was looking for um, so you know the owner or the person working there was asking so you know what are you looking for is there something special you know he realized that he didn't get what he was looking for so then he said that he was looking for you know some books from Mrs. E.G. White. And then, then the, the person working in the shop there, he said, oh, that's, that's different. 
uh, those books, they are not back here. You know, they are in the front over there with the Bibles. Those books are in a class by themselves. And I think that's a... Uh, I like the story because really, more and more as I get to know this and I see the importance of this, I think truly the spiritual prophecy, the writings of Ellen White, it is in our class by themselves. And, and these books, these messages ought to have a special uh, role in our personal lives and as well as in our ministry. Um, now, before we get into you know, a little bit on you know, why is this important and some, some other things, I wanted to kind of um, start out with sharing a little bit kind of the story behind how I got into all of this and, and some, you know, it's quite an interesting story. So, and I kind of share through it, comes through some lessons that I think is also useful for, for this workshop. I was sitting uh, in the back of the, the police, police, in a police car, uh, worried, astonished, and wondering what in the world, you know, fear of being put in jail. You know, since when did it become a, a crime to be a European tourist driving in the States? And, uh, you know, it has been bad enough with the car crash we just have been in, but now we're threatened to be put in jail. You know, uh, the thing was, I was going to, to do the research, you know, when I went, met Gladys, went to Elm 7, where Ellen White lived, and, you know, doing some different things, very important part of the research for the book. Um, so I was there, I first went to drop by this, you know, GYC conference in, in Florida, and then I was going to go up, fly up from there to Michigan, to Battle Creek, and then over to the west, to California, and some different things. And, but like a few hours before I was supposed to head up, you know, from Florida to, to, to Michigan, I was just, I just got a very short message that plane was canceled. It didn't say anything, what I should do, what I could do, just plane was canceled. I'm like, what in the world? So I had to look up myself and I found out that it was a big winter storm in Michigan and, and like a big one for seldom had, you know, for a long time, the biggest one, you know, many problems. And so all planes were canceled for several days. So I had no chance to fly in there to catch my other plane to the west. So I'm like, what in the world? How, you know, I think I'd, you, know, you have led me into this project and I think you want me to see these things. I'm here now, this is my chance, you know, I, I have to. So I'm like, what should, we, what should I do, you know? And I found out with my friend that was with me, helping me with the, on, on the trip, uh, the only chance really was to rent a car and to drive from Florida to Michigan. And if you're not acquainted with US geography, that's a long trip. It's from the very south to the very north. Michigan is bordering to Canada, Florida is in the south. So it's like, uh, was it 1,900 kilometers, if I don't remember incorrectly, 1,900 kilometers, yeah, roughly 1,200 miles. It's quite some time traveling. And so we just had to figure it out next morning, 3.30 in the morning, we woke up, went to the place to get a car, but we had to wait for like three hours, you know. Uh, it was many people wanting to get cars and, you know, all quite some cows. And, but eventually we got a car, started driving. It went pretty well um, throughout the day. But eventually it started to get dark, started to get very cold, and uh, you know all of this, not none of this was planned, you know, with the car and everything, and didn't have really so much cash, and you had all these pay tolls, and so finally we only had like one dollar left, and my car, for somehow it didn't work anymore, so like one dollar in the pocket, and we're driving, and and it's getting really cold outside, I'm looking, and, and like the petrol is going down, and like man, how is this going to go? And it's like getting very, very late, been driving for, you know, and have a plane to catch and try hopefully also see these places. And uh, like, man, I'm looking on the petrol and I'm like, it seems like probably we should be just enough, but it was like, but then it was, it was like a crash in the, we started to get up to the snowy part. And so we had to, we were stuck in the traffic for like 
two, I think it was two hours or so, no, three hours we had to wait. Um, not two hours, sorry, three hours was in the morning. Two hours we had to wait. Uh, and because of that, or because it was freezing cold outside, even for someone who is used to snowy weather like here, uh, we had to keep the engine on. So you can imagine two hours, we didn't have enough gas anymore. Like, man, Lord, you need to help us, you know. But, praise the Lord, for some reason, suddenly, the car started working again, and I don't know what happened, but could get some more gas. And, and so we continued driving, and, and as we were driving through the night, you know, we were several delays, you know, waiting there and there, and already we had a really long trip, and not much time, and we were driving through the night, it was, you know, but I was driving, like, so many times, it was cars here, trucks there, it's like, I never, never saw, like, on this trip, so many cars are stuck in the snow and in the drift, and it was like crazy, like what in the world? And uh, we were driving very carefully because we didn't, we didn't uh, have actually, we came from Florida, so we didn't really have uh, snow tires, uh, so we had to be very, it was okay, but I was like, man, we need to be careful. Uh, uh, <laughs> we didn't have much choice, you know, so yes, we didn't choose to get in this situation. But anyway, so we're driving, we're almost there now, we're driving pretty much traveling for like 24 hours or more than 24 hours we just had like 40 minutes left to go uh, but then it happened we we come to this crossroad and we are sliding into the car ahead of us and uh, yeah here you see the car oh. this is the rental car we had and uh, and that's where we ended up in the police car and we had to wait there, sort things out, it took quite some time, you know. Actually, we're actually eating breakfast in the police, police car uh, after traveling for more than 24 hours. It was a quite interesting experience, I haven't done that before. And we had a good talk with him, and I, he told us, like, he told us that in this state, in Indiana, and he was just in border, we were just about to go out from Indiana into Michigan. In, this is the only state in all the United States, he said, where you have to have an American driving license to be allowed to drive. I'm like, what in the world? I've never heard anything like that. Like, that's what he said, people are put in prison because of it, you know, Mexicans, other people, they put them in prison. But luckily, we had a nice talk with him, he let us off the hook for that one, and, and I think we gave him a glow as well before we left, and it was interesting. Um, but anyway, we, we had to wait here, we got, had a friend that came and picked it up, picked us up, and, you know, so we came there very late, and because of that, you know, we didn't have time to sleep. If, if things went after the plan, we could have slept and then went to Battle Creek and stuff to see places we were going to see there. But now what we had to do in order to see these places, we just had to just go and take a quick shower and get some food and then hit the road again. And luckily, a friend of mine that I was going to mission school together with in the States some years back, he volunteered in a short notice to come and you know, pick us up and, and to drive us. So we started driving and... Just after like, I don't know, like 20, 30 minutes of driving, suddenly a car hits us in the back. Like, what in the world? Not again. We don't have time for this. We are like really short of time to catch, to see these places, to, to, hit the, to hit the road. But luckily we went out and you couldn't really see any damage on either of the cars. So, okay, good. Praise the Lord. Let's keep going, you know. And he had this uh, Jeep Liberty four-wheeler. Um, and uh, he was driving pretty good, you know, this big car. He was a good... And he literally, he had... You know, he had the, when we were driving, it was, again, so many cars, like, it was like crazy. And he had like this snowboard goggles on him, like, so, to see better. And he was like driving, like, really good, uh, like, it was, it was like a dream. Like, what in the world? We're traveling for 30 hours or more, and this is like all these cars, all the two crashes in just a few hours. It's like, what is happening? It was like crazy. But then finally, we come to this one 
thing I wanted to see was this grave of Elder Canwright. Uh, it's a very interesting story. So we came to this graveyard. I've looked up on the internet. I found the graveyard where he was, you know, buried. And, but I couldn't find through the internet where his tomb, exact spot of the tomb. But I thought, okay, you know, when we come there, we'll find it somehow. You know, but when we came there, of course, we saw that the graveyard was pretty big. And uh, there was a lot of snow, but we did not have a lot of time. So, like, man, Lord, you need to help us if we're going to find this in time. So we split up in, you know, we're like four people in, like, different parts of the graveyard, tried to look, you know, around, hunt for this, this, this grave. So I went to, like, the opposite side and was looking around. I saw some pictures. I kind of knew approximately how it looked. And I thought, oh, maybe it could be this one, you know. It was many that were similar, so it was, didn't help so much. But uh, it wasn't, like, very special shape of the tombstone. But I thought, I kind of felt impressed to go and check this one. So I passed some rows of the graves. There was a lot of snow. I went out in the snow and, like, brushed off the, the snow from this tombstone. And, the, and guess what? The very first grave I'm checking, it was the one. <laughs> Here you see it. So I had to run all through the snow here, and like, yeah, all these tombs, this was the, like, can you see a little bit of it? It's quite a lot of graves there. But so like, praise the Lord, we saw it. And the reason I wanted to say this is very interesting, actually. Um, he is, you might have heard of him, he's Elder Canwright, Ian Canwright, Dudley Canwright. He's called the father of Ellen White criticism. Pretty much all criticism that is out there today on the internet or whatever, I guess Ellen White, these things he kind of started with, or that is back from his time, or that he already said that has been ably answered. And, and what is really powerful is he was an anti preacher, a very popular young speaker, preacher, uh, but uh, eventually he, he left the church, became a Baptist, a Baptist preacher. And, but really, the story behind the tombstone, I don't really have time to get into it, but it's really interesting. It basically confirms that he knew better. He knew that much of the criticism he came with wasn't true, it wasn't honest, it wasn't fair. He knew it wasn't, you know, it's a very interesting story, so I wanted to kind of see it to kind of confirm that this is really true. I read a story, a book of, written by one of his former secretaries that wasn't an Adventist, but who became an Adventist. He wasn't, she was not convinced by him, but rather the opposite. And very interesting. So, yeah, that's kind of when I wanted to see it. So, but then we had to finish. Here is a picture of him. He died in 1919. And uh, actually, Ellen White really had a burden for him. Had a close relationship, and she warned him. She even said what would happen with him, like basically a prophecy about him, if he would, if he would, uh, you know, continue this course. And it was very unlikely, uh, I think, what was predicted, but it was exactly what happened. Um, years later, even after her death. Uh, <clears throat> and um, so anyway, after this, you know, we have to just move on, finish up, and get quickly, you know, move on to go to the next plane, catch the next plane from Chicago. So it's still some driving. And this part of the trip was the most scary ones. I've never been, you know, we were driving and I don't know, I would never have had a car like that with those tires. They were really bad. Like you could feel, we were driving on the road, it was like, the car was moving like this. It was like, it didn't feel like, it wasn't stable. It was, the tires were too bad. And it was continuing like this, like from time to time. And we were driving on this like five lanes each direction or something, six maybe. Uh, like lots of trucks, big trucks, and like I felt the big truck beside me. What if we would just slide half a meter there? We could be smashed. And like I never prayed so much on the road like that part. But thankfully we, we made it. We came to the plane. We got the plane to the west, and we came there and we had a great time. We met Gladys, you know, the interview there. We went to Elm Seven. It was a blessing. Everything worked out fine. So now we're just on our way back to San Francisco to then you know last destination before heading back from there to Europe. And as we go drive, you know, we go there and we drive, you know, down the MacArthur, MacArthur uh, um, 
free, what call it, hi, uh, or whatever, I remember, I don't remember the exact name. Or basically, we had like, on, and before that, we had like 60 hours of traveling before we finally could sleep in our bed. It was like crazy, so many things happening. But anyway, we were driving this Mark Arthur free lane, I think it's the name, five lanes each direction, just have a few more kilometers to go. Uh, but suddenly, as we're driving, I'm just hit in the back. Just driving with the flow of the traffic, and this car came way too fast, hits me in the back, and I'm pushed into the car ahead of me, on like a double uh, uh, collision on the highway. And uh, here you see the, the car, this is my car, and this is the back. And uh, actually, my suitcase was in there, that's the one I have here. You can see a little bit that it you know, got a little damage. But uh, it was actually a blessing. Therefore, we got a new one through the insurance. And, and yeah, anyway, so I got it. It was my parents. I borrowed it from them. <laughs> uh, so it was like, you know, thankfully, again, no one was really in Europe. This one was the worst one. I could feel it in my neck for a few days. So I went to just for short to have a check, you know, that could say if something got worse later in my neck or back, you know, so I went to the doctor. But uh, it turned out well. And even they had like a two-year-old girl in the, ba in the back seat, but praise the Lord, no, no injuries. But when this happened, like, what in the world? I've never been in a car crash before, like in an accident. And now in like five days, it's three car, like it felt like everything that could, and this is just the short version, felt like everything that could go wrong did go wrong on this trip. We started to wonder if something would happen with the plane back home or something, but thankfully that went well. But it's like, what in the world? And I was sitting there, it was like, we had to be picked up or something, waiting, no, trying to find out what would happen. And uh, I was, trying to put everything in perspective, you know, think about what is happening, you know. But then this thought hit me, seems like someone does not want this project to happen, you know. And, you know, the thing is, she writes, and I think you should have it on, on here, yeah, quote number seven uh, on the handout, she writes that the very last deception of seven, this is not the reason why I believe in her, but I believe in, in this statement because I believe she's a prophet of God, it says here, the very last deception of Satan will be to make of non-effect the testimonies, basically, in short, and to unsettle the confidence in, the, in, this, in her writings. To make it of non-effect and unsettle the confidence. That's the very last deception of Satan. And, and of course, if this is true, the enemy of God will do whatever he can to, to hinder such an effort. So when this happened, when I, when I realized this, you know, and after I told this in my local church afterwards, just, uh, you know, 15 minutes away from here at that time. Uh, someone told me afterwards, did you know when, when Ellen White was writing The Great Controversy, which she looked upon as her most important book, uh, that Satan tried to kill her three times? And, you know, so when I was thinking about this, you know, I asked, thought, okay, so I'm doing something good here. So I was actually encouraged to move on, <laughs> to be more determined. This is good, this is important project, so let's, let's move on. And I could really see, it has been a many, many challenges from the beginning, these were like kind of in the beginning of the project until the very end, until just a few days ago, actually. I had like this Kindle version. I also have a Kindle version. It was supposed to take four days. It took like two months. So actually, I just got the final version after like the sixth revision, uh, like just a few days ago. So like from the very beginning till the very end, so many problems, but it has been great to see also how God has been providing and blessing in, in many different ways. And he always will. When we do what he wants us to do, you know, he will be with us. He has a thousand ways to provide for us, which we know nothing. I don't have time to tell you all the blessings and stuff. But, okay, let's move on. At a um, um, 70th Amethyst boarding school in an unnamed country, uh, there was an interesting 
thought-provoking question-and-answer session that basically Sabbath morning, you know, the students were gathered together and, you know, students in the late teens gathered together to, to have a question-and-answer just randomly. They could ask whatever. And just a few minutes into to the discussion, you know, that many of the students, they left from there, I think, confused and they could easily have asked, you know, did this just happen? You know, did, did we just experience it? Did we, did we just hear one of the students ask, you know, why is it that uh, the, the pastors in, in, in this country, in this region, uh, are discussing whether Ellen White is a prophet or not? Why is it, you know, that we never hear about Ellen White really in this school, in this church, even though we as a church officially believe, you know, she's a prophet? And uh, basically that's a question that was asked, like, in the beginning of this, very beginning. So basically the whole session turned out to be about this topic, you know. It was supposed to be as many questions, but, and uh, really, you know, it was quite some discussions and, you know, one of the pastors got a little bit irritated and aggressive, saying he thought it was meaningless to discuss this topic and, and uh, another pastor, a prominent pastor in, in that country, uh, said he, you know, thought, you know, talked about how he believed that Ellen White had grown in her understanding, you couldn't really trust what she said in the beginning, and uh, we shouldn't really care so much about that, and, and much of what she wrote should never have been published, and he went on, he even said before all these students, you know, these teenagers, that he didn't agree with the fundamental belief that we as a church has, you know, on, on the gift of prophecy. And at the, on, the other, on the other side were some a teacher there kind of presenting another view and, and, and you know, it was an interesting discussion. So, uh, some of the students went out from this discussion with the impression that the pastors didn't really believe in Ellen White. Many students went out from this discussion uh, confused. They went out confused. And they are far from the only one. They are far from the only one. There are so many different thoughts and ideas and, and opinions, many different views. Some people say, I've heard people tell me straight in my face, you know, when I was a teenager, a pastor actually, he said, don't you know uh, that, uh, you know, the desire of ages and great contrary, they are not inspired. Don't you know that she's just talking about the other authors, you know. Testimonies, they are inspired. Testimonies to church, you know, they are inspired, but not, not the desire not the great controversy. Um, you know, some say, you know, personal letters to people written who lived 160 years ago. You know, I believe they were inspired, but I don't believe it was never the intention I should read them. Some say, you know... Um, Ellen White was a prophet, but she changed, she grew, we shouldn't care what she said in the beginning, but what she said in the end. Others say that, you know, she was a prophet, but she wasn't really reliable in the end. Someone manip manipulated her writings, we can't really trust the, what she wrote in the end. Others say, you know, this part is just her opinion, you know, times have changed, this is not really relevant anymore. anymore. And some say, you know, didn't she say that, or what is the big deal? Why should we really care about Ellen White if she, why care about the lesser light if we had a greater light? Uh, or, or doesn't she say herself that if we study the Bible enough, we don't really need her? Uh, it's so many different thoughts and ideas and opinions, and, and a lot of confusion, a lot of confusion. Listen to this. This is how a Wikipedia article put it. I think it was quite interesting. It's a Seventh-day Adventist believe church co-founder Ellen G. White was inspired by God as a prophet. Uh, we don't read everything. We can jump to the, take the jello part. But in practice, there is wide variation among Adventists as to exactly how much authority should be attributed to her writings. The debate concerning the validity of her prophetic gift has been heated, both from ground and outside the Adventist church. There has always been significant variation in the Adventist church regarding White's inspiration. Uh, and another study, this is an interesting study, 
Uh, or, yeah, before, before that actually, uh, listen to this. According to a 2002 worldwide survey, 81% of Adventists accept the authority of White's writings and 50% believe reinterpretation is needed for today. And listen to this study, this is very interesting. Our study shows that in the Trans-European Division, the division we are in right now, less than 60% of the members wholeheartedly embrace the teachings that LNG White was an inspired messenger. That's quite, that's quite, uh, that's a high number. Uh, that's a lot of people um, that don't have confidence, full confidence in this gift. Uh, to the same of the church. Furthermore, 25% of the members say that they never read her writings. And another approximately 45% read her less than once a month. That makes a total of just under 70% of the members who read White's writings less than once a month. So, in other words, you see very few actually if read her. Or more than at least very seldom. And um, this just paints a picture of how the situation is. Now, why is that? Is, is that the way it's supposed to be? You know, if God sends a prophet, wouldn't he make it clear what role and how much authority that prophet should have? Wouldn't it, uh, and wouldn't it be important to understand these things correctly? I believe certainly that's the case. Certainly, sure. This is a very important question to ask ourselves. Uh, doesn't the Bible teach you know, that, that, that God is not the author of confusion? That there is one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. That God has promised wisdom to all who ask. That Christ is praying that we may all be one, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You know, I think God, of course, if he sends us a prophet, he will help us to understand how we should relate to that prophet. What role it should have in our life. How we, yeah. But it's a very important question to discuss. There is a lot of confusion on this topic. And this is definitely something I see more and more that really needs to be addressed and needs to be better understood. As we read in the quote in the beginning, right? Uh, quote number three, as the end draws near, right? Oh, what is quote number three? Quote number five, as the end draws near, it becomes more important to have a clear understanding of the nature of influence of the testimonies. So it's more important than ever before to have a clear understanding of these things. Uh, so that's what we will try to get some clarity. We have, of course, not a lot of time, but we we'll try to look, look into this topic somewhat today together. Now, first, I thought we can look at some, some, some passages in Scripture, some fundamental truths about the gift of prophecy in general that I think it's helpful to have in mind as we consider this topic. So first, let me ask you, what is a prophet? Talk about prophets for this generation. Talk about, you know, it's good to have in mind. What would you say? Uh, what is a prophet? How would you describe a prophet? How, how would you define a prophet? Some thoughts on that. Messenger. Messenger. Uh-huh. Other thoughts? What is a prophet doing? What is the role? What is what is what is it about? Really? To prepare the people of God. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I like that. Yes. In the testimony, there are much uh, rebuke, yeah. much uh, upholding the moral standards. Right. 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 Mm. So it's correcting us, leading us, you know, molding us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there are many, many tasks, uh, m- several tasks of a prophet. Sometimes what we m- people tend to think of is foretelling the future, and I believe it's an important role of the prophet. You know, approximately a third of the Bible is prophecy. So. Uh, but that's not it. It's wider than that. I like to put it like this. I think a pretty good definition of, of what a prophet is is uh, that a prophet is a spokesperson for God. Prophet is a spokesperson for God, and that's kind of what the, the words that are used in the Bible indicate. Is one word that's used Hebrew, Nabi, the spokesman or speaker. 
Greek prophetess, one speaks for uh, someone you know that speaks for God. So I think that's a pretty good definition. Now, are we not all supposed to be spokespeople for God? Yeah, I think clearly in the Bible, I think you know we are all sent to to share the gospel with our mouth as well. I think many verses to be God's witnesses. Uh, uh, so what is the difference then? What is the difference between prophet and us? What is the difference between a prophet and a preacher, a prophet and a pastor or evangelist or whatever? What is the difference? You have some thoughts on that. Where, where is that play? The source. the source, yeah. I think that's kind of the core of it. Inspiration. I think inspiration and authority or the source where it get, that gives them authority. Um, so, you know, God speaks very directly to prophets through visions and dreams. So therefore, you know, if a, if a prophet stands up and speaks, we know. If a, you know, say if a pastor come or a preacher come and says to you, hey, you should go and study theology and become a pastor. Is that what God wanted to do? Could be, right? But not necessarily. But if a prophet comes and tells you, 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 should, uh, you should go and study business and start up a restaurant, you know, then I think at least if she comes, you know, like a messenger of the Lord and tells you this, you can know, yeah, okay. I should do that, if it's a true prophet, of course. Uh, it's a difference of inspiration and authority. Uh, but it's a spokesperson for God. Now, so that's our first truth. I want to mention like four truths before we move on to why is this important. How do you know what you know about God? What would you say? How, would you know, how do you know what you know about God? I think it's different sources of our knowledge for God, but what would you answer to that? Some thoughts? Nature is one, yeah. Bible, mm-hmm. Other things that teach us about things about God, has taught us about God's will and different things. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit yeah. And uses to instruct us. Other things. The parents in the beginning. Yeah, parents and pe- other people, right? And Bible, of course, and things taking place in our life. Yeah, experiences of life, Bible, yeah. Yeah, I think all these, all these are things that God uses to speak to us. Uh, I like to put it like this. God has spoken audibly. He has communicated with some face-to-face. To the high priest, he communicated through the Urim and Thummim, you know, with the light on there, telling them if they should do this or that. So quite convenient, you know. And sometimes if you want to know God's will. Uh, to others, he has sent angels, and many times he has spoken through visions and dreams. So God has used many different ways, right? But, by far, the most common modus operandi has been communication via the prophets. God's most common way to communicate with us, the, his main way of communication is through the prophet. And that's our second um, truth that I want us to have in mind. The main way God communicates with us is through the prophet. I, 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 would, can, I would say with confidence that the vast majority of all knowledge we together in this room have about God and his will, and, uh, and, you know, it is because of prophets. Do you think that's true? Uh, the, the, we are sure we have learned maybe some other things, some other places, but the vast majority of everything we know about God, this is God's main method of communication. So, uh, foundational truth number one, prophet is a spokesperson for God. Number two, prophets are God's main method of communication with his people. Um, and, uh, you know, he could have done it in many different ways, I think. You know, sometimes maybe you wish that he wrote in the, in the sky with the, with the skies, you know, or he, he came with a lightning or sent an angel telling you, where you should move, what you should work with, what occupation you should do, who you should marry, whatever you want to know, you know. That would be, I don't know, it would be nice, maybe, sometimes, we think. But for some reason, he has not chosen to do it like that. 
This is his main method of communication. Any thoughts on why do you think he, he doesn't do like with the skies? And, and it happens, he do more dramatic things sometimes. Any thoughts on that? Why doesn't he, why didn't he do it differently? Because we asked it. Because we asked it? We asked for what? In the time of Moses. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I follow that. That's true. Yeah, they wanted, they wanted them to go via Moses because they were too scared. If it came too, too close, it would be more scary to get a lightning you know, if you are right on, on the wrong way. Yeah? If, you, uh, <laughs> if you get things too easily, you might not appreciate it. But here you have to dig for it. Uh, yeah, that's true. I think that's a, an interesting aspect. I think there's probably many reasons. I think one is also it wouldn't really make a difference. Pharaoh, he didn't change his mind with his, all, his, all his miracles. The Pharisees, when Lazarus was raised from the dead, didn't change anything. Like, if needed, God, I think, would do it, and he does it, sometimes more drastic, but it wouldn't really change. And we, for us, I think, it's also many blessings by doing it this way. If we seek with all our heart, God will lead us. We'll find what we need. But the problem is that we don't, many people don't, so they don't know better. Okay, let's go to point number three. Let's, let's look at some verses. Uh, this is an interesting verse. We have it on the screen here. The household of God, it says in Ephesians chapter 2, 1922. Uh, here it says, the household of God having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. It says here also that Christ is the cornerstone. So Christ is the cornerstone, but the foundation of the household of God, of the church of God, is the apostles and the prophets. It shows us, okay, this is a gift of prophecy. It's a very important part of the church. Of course, if that's God's main method of communication, it shouldn't be a big surprise, but we, many things are telling us this. Okay, come with me to the book of Ephesians. This is a, a key passage to understand the gift of prophecy and its role. So, if you have a Bible, you can come with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, and from verse 11, 11 through 14. Here it says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of knowledge of the Son of God. To a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of man in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Uh, I want us to notice a couple of things from this passage. It's an interesting passage. One thing here is, you know, here we have a list of different gifts that God gives through his spirit to the church, right? Prophets, teachers, evangelists, you know, uh, different, different gifts. And... One thing that is interesting to notice, I think, is that we have the list like this um, four times in Scripture, four times in the New Testament, three, ta three places. We have it here in Ephesians 4. Anyone knows where the other places are? 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. 1 Corinthians 12, yeah, and 13 also, especially. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, especially 12, that's kind of where they list it, but then they continue on the topic, you can say. And then the last one is in... Romans, exactly. Chapter 12 as well. So it's quite easy to remember. Uh, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and then Ephesians 4. 12 divided by 4 is 3, and whatever. Uh, four places is listed three times. Uh, th three places, four times. Now, it's only one gift that is always mentioned in all these four lists. Guess which one? It's a leading question, I guess. Uh, the gift of prophecy. It's the only one that is always mentioned. Not only that, it's always mentioned either as number one or number two in the list. It's either the first one or the second one in the list. In, in the list. 
Uh, so it seems like if there is one of these gifts that is really important, that is more important than the others, more essential to the church than the others, more crucial, more, more needed, more, you know, this is the one, the gift of prophecy. Um, I think all are important, you know, hopefully, you know, we have all, and it's good to have all of them. But if there is one, especially we need, this is the one. And another thing that is interesting is, if you think about it, all other gifts, they receive basically their authority from the prophets, you know, the teacher and the pastor and the evangelist. Their authority is only as they build on the word, right? So that's also, that's also a difference. And uh, uh, just think about it. Like, imagine if you could choose, uh, imagine if you, you know, I have a friend, he, he said, you know, he asked me one time, have you, have you read the testimonies? He, he was reading it, and he was, he was a little scared. He said, they are, they're like, it's, uh, they're oozing, oozing with, with uh, uh, prophetic authority. He thought it was a little scary to read it, you know. Kind of sense that this is this is a, this is a, this is true. You know, it's cutting truth sometimes, but it's it's a word from God. You know, they were like the people of Israel and Moses, right? They were afraid. No, please, please. <laughs> we got a little scared. It was a little too 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 direct. Yeah. Um, and, and and sure, you know, can you imagine if you if you would have a like if you would choose if you would choose if you could choose uh, between having a a prophet and a teacher or preacher in your church, what would you choose? Hopefully, God forbid, we'll never have to take, make this choice, yeah? But if you have to take that choice, what, what would you choose? Would you choose, choose uh, anyone? Any prophet? Yeah? It will, be a, it will probably be more scary, but I think, like, just think about how that would be. Many of you sit and you want to plan the activities the next year for the church, and like, what shall we do? What shall we do? Uh, imagine you, know, you, you want to plan the next year's activity, and, uh, and then the prophet stands up says, you should, you should do, organize three health expos, you should have some cooking courses, and start some Bible study group, and then in the end you have this big evangelistic campaign, and, and, and 30 people will be baptized, and when you train them, they will eventually, in two years, they will reach in total 80 people of their friends. Like, wouldn't that be quite powerful, yeah? Like, I would choose, I think it would probably be more scary, but it would be even more powerful uh, and make an even greater difference, I think, in a church than, than a preacher or not to, you know, to downplay the importance of teachers and preachers, but that would be powerful. I think we would all, and also if you think about this, to make the choice maybe even more obvious, if you could choose between, between having a Bible, which is basically a, a God-given product of the prophets, or a teacher in your church, a preacher in your church, what would you choose? If you have to choose, you know, I'm glad we don't have to take that choice, but... Sure, we would choose the Bible, right? Uh, it just shows us, I think, with other words, and that's, that's our third lesson, uh, uh, that's uh, the gift of prophecy is the most, I would say, crucial spiritual gift. It's the most crucial, the most essential, it's the most important of all the spiritual gifts. So that just shows us, hey, this is something, you know, if God comes with a prophet, we should, should pay attention. Um, yes? Yeah, this gift of Ellen White is greater than a prophet. She also was in many ways a teacher. And she had many, many yeah. So we cannot put her on a reduced gift there. It's greater than a, than a prophet. Do you know, actually, by the way, she didn't want to, she never called, really called herself a prophet, and she preferred to be called, you said messenger, she preferred to be called the messenger of the Lord. Do you know why? That is actually why she did not want to be called a prophet. Sometimes you kind of people take it up in a, I think, wrong light. And 
you know, she didn't even want to be called a prophet. You know, I call my book Prophet for this generation. Well, yeah. Because in her time, there were many claiming to be prophets, and many were false prophets, mm -hmm. and therefore it was really good that she didn't. Right. Many, many false prophets, and it would give a, scare some people away. Uh, yeah, that's a good answer. Also. She actually has a quotation where she says that her work is uh, more than the work of a prophet, yeah. because she does have other uh, things as the sister mentioned. Right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, I think that's that's a good point. She, her work is more than a prophet, and I think that's the two things basically. She basically says these two things. That's the two reasons. It's more than a prophet, and and because it was uh, give wrong misconceptions and and prejudice because there was so many crazy stuff ha happening in that time. Um, now, I want to. Yeah, I just I want to go very quickly to the next po next point. You know, I, we don't have time to look on everything so much. But one thing, the, the fourth point is I think we can expect to see in the last days the gift of prophecy, especially in the last days. You know, if we read the, you know, in Revelation, we should should expect to you know several verses indicating we should expect see all the gifts in the church until the second coming. Uh, also here in Ephesians four, you know, it would up until perfect unity basically and full structure in in, in Christ. We should have this gift in the church. Several verses indicating, um, especially like Revelation chapter 12, 17. I hope you are acquainted with it, right? It talks about last, God's last remnant. It says that they, uh, yeah, we can go there maybe. Revelation 12, 17 is a powerful, important verse. So even though you know it before, uh, just also indicating this, it says that uh, talking about God's people, God's last remnant, God's church in the time of then, it says, and a dragon was enraged with the woman and went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So, two characteristics here, they keep the commandments, not five, of, not half of the commandments, but you know, the commandments, they keep the ten commandments, and have the testimony of Jesus. And what is the testimony of Jesus? It's the gift of prophecy. It says in Revelation 19, verse 10, that it's the spirit of prophecy. I don't have the whole verse here. Uh, the testimony of Jesus is the, is the spirit of prophecy, it says, in Revelation 19:10. But and when you compare when you compare these two, very interesting. You you see very clearly it's it's the prophecy, the gift of prophecy. Um, anyway, let's not get get into that. Uh, now, I want to share briefly some of them. I will just mention very briefly. But I want to share with you ten reasons why I believe the gift of prophecy is very important and something that should really get our attention. But uh, before we do that, since we are kind of you know, sitting quite much, and just to kind of as a transition, I want to teach you guys a song, and I like to sing, and it's good maybe to do something just to, maybe we can uh, just to recharge the, I think also Ellen White liked to sing, and I think she would like this song if she, it was written after her death, so. You know her uh, favorite song. Yeah, I should, <laughs> I should ask uh, um, Gladys if she yeah, thinks Ellen White would have liked this, this song. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Her favorite song was Jesus, Lover of My Soul. And her favorite color, by the way, was pink. And her favorite dessert, according to white family tradition, was uh, lemon pie. And uh, yeah, it's many interesting things. When you get to know her, you get a very different picture many times. So basically, some of you know the song. And uh, actually, I need someone to just um, change the slides for me. Maybe Soran, you can help me. And uh, basically, 
Some of you have heard it before, but it's like a, I will sing first line and then I wait and you repeat. So if you have never heard a song before, just listen and then just follow. And it's, it's quite easy, except if you go to the next one. The second and fourth one, you have five lines. So for the last three lines, I don't wait for you. So when I sing the first line, usually I wait until you are done, but then you just start on the three last ones. So those of you can just join and we'll, we'll try. I think we will manage to... No, I've heard that you can sing in the meeting, so... Okay, um, this is a song one of my teachers wrote when I was, went to a mission school in the state, at the Rise. Maybe you can stand up because then we get some, you know, blood going and it will be fresh for the last part of this workshop. So that's kind of, you know, it's like, just like an organized break with some nice music. Okay, and this, this is, by the way, from Psalms. Yeah, it's a scripture song, a beautiful, happy song, okay. So I start and you, you follow. Thy word have I hid deep down in my heart that I might not sing against thee, my God. Open the Thy word is a lamp, light to my head. The law of thy mouth is bad and good. Oh, I love thy law, it's my meditation. I delight myself in thy statues, O Lord, and rejoice in thy Let's try the last part again. So I delight myself in and then you start uh, while I go to the next one. I delight myself in the statue so Lord and rejoice in my way. Okay, I think you got it. Let's do it one more time. Now now we'll it will be good. Okay. Thy go to the beginning. Thy word have I deep down in my sing it really well. Okay, so we have about half an hour left and uh, we'll see what we have time to look at, but I wanted to share some reason now why this is uh, important uh, um, yeah, why the gift of prophecy is important. So the first reason I want to mention 
is simply it's a message. Why why this is important? Why we should give it our attention? You know, the first reason is simply it's a message from our loving Creator and Redeemer. You know, if someone dares to you, send you a letter. You know, if it's a spouse or a girlfriend, boyfriend, your best friend, brother, sister, you want to read it? You want to find out what they wanted to write to you? Sure, right? You, the more you love the person, the more you wouldn't need someone to force you to do it, but the more you love them, you would look forward to read it as soon as possible to find out, you know, what, what is this, right? And, and so the thing is, you know, the writings of Ellen White, is just, it's not just a message from Ellen White, it's a message from our Creator and Redeemer, our loving Creator and Redeemer to us. And that in itself should be good enough reason for us to give it our earnest attention, to really pay attention, to want to listen to and say, hey, what is this about? Second reason we have talked about already, prophets are God's main method of communication with his people. And of course, if that is the case, we shouldn't be surprised if the prophetic, if prophetic writings play an essential role in our Christian walk, in our relationship with God, and thus our eternal testament, uh, destiny. You know, so that this is the main method it shows, okay, this is important, very important. It should give, up, should give it our attention. The third reason, we also touched on this one, the gift of prophecy is the most crucial spiritual gift. Of all the gifts, this is the only one that is mentioned in all lists. Always mentioned as number one or number two. The other one derived their authority from this one. Uh, it's the most crucial, the most powerful, the most essential, the most significant, I believe, of all these spiritual gifts of, of, of ministries in the church that God gives. Now, the fourth reason, uh, or before I put that up, you know, I, it was an interesting story. It was a man that had attended a, a church, you know, was an attending church member for many, many years, you know, faithful churchgoer. And one day he asked his pastor, you know, hey, I can have the children's story one day, you know. And the pastor thought, you know, understandably to himself, yeah, sure, that should be fine. He has seen, all, he has been here for years, you know, seen all these children, so he should know how to do it. So, yeah, you can have the children's story. So the day came, the Sabbath came, the church was gathered, he went forward, and he went up, and he started to tell his story. He, he said, you know, I went to church, and there I saw some children uh, standing. And that's it. That's everything he said. Yes, you're right, his story did not have a point. Don't be like that man if you are asked to share a children's story one time, or to preach, or to teach. Don't share pointless things. Don't share things without a reason, you know. God is not like this guy. He's, he doesn't share point, and that's our fourth point, you know. God shares, it's very simple, very logical, but it's still a good point, you know. God shares messages and light for a reason. He shares it for a reason, you know. And uh, he shares things, he sends some messages for a reason, he gives light for a reason, he gives something that is useful. And especially, uh, you know, I would say also, imagine if you, if you, if you got a letter from the, the king of Norway or president of the United States, do you want to read it? would you want to read it and find out? What you, of course, right, we would be curious. We would, we would be hard to believe, but if we saw, hey, this is really from the king of Norway, this is really from Barack Obama or maybe Ben Carson or Donald Trump or whatever, uh, uh, we would want to read it, right? Uh, especially, uh, imagine, or imagine if, if it was like a 20-page long letter, and we were like, what? what does he, this must be important, right? If there was... If, he took time to write 20 pages by hand to me. You know, I would, I would, I would read it for sure. I would want to find out, okay, what is this about? I, would, I don't know, maybe we would get, get a little scared. Now, do you know how much has Ellen White written? Anyone knows? How much has Ellen White written? Listen to it. Millions of pages. Millions 
of words, at least. And listen to this, we have it here. Ellen White is thought to be the, most, the third most translated author in history and the most translated American author, male or female. So far as we know, she wrote and published more books and in more languages which circulate to a greater extent than the written works of any other woman in history. By the close of her 70-year ministry, her literary, her literary production totaled approximately 100,000 pages or the equivalent of 25 million words, including letters, diaries, periodical articles, pamphlets and books. At the time of Mrs. White's death, 24 books were currently in print and two more were at the publishers awaiting a publication. Since the time of her death, the numbers of books bearing Ellen White's name has more than quadrupled, more than four times as much, with nearly all of the post-humorous volumes being topical of compilations from her manuscripts, letters and published writings. So in other words, she has written a lot, just to, just to compare. Uh, uh, an English version of the Bible, I think it's King James or whatever, it doesn't make a big difference, is approximately 800,000 words long. So what she wrote is approximately 30 times as much. It's a lot. And, and after uh, becoming an author, I better realize uh, uh, how, how, how incredible much uh, this, this, this is. Uh, I think I think I will not. I will just move very fast. With time, running out of time. But basically, I was calculating a little bit uh, compared to you know after writing. You know, if you write so, so much, you know, and how many days would it take to write hundred thousand pages? And basically, if you write, uh, yeah, two pages in five hours. Okay, I guess it depends on what you write, how much time you need. But if you would do that, it would take fifty thousand days. That's kind of you know I was a little bit the pace I had for part of the time, depending on how much research you needed for each page, of course. But but uh, you would need fifty thousand days, which is hundred thirty-seven years. Or if you would have the same pace, uh, you would you would double it to ten hours a day. You would do it in roughly seventy years, which is basically her the time of her ministry. And, and it's just incredible because she did so many other things. And, and, and she didn't only write, and, and it just puts this a little bit in perspective. It was, she wrote a lot. No, no, one, you know, no wonder that she often was up between 2 and 4 in the morning, and that she had to write while traveling and all kind of inconvenient circumstances. And, and the thing is this, you know, there is a reason. You know, there is a reason why God gave her those approximately 2,000 visions. There is a reason why God woke her up early, leading and strengthening her through all those hours of writings. You know, when God raises up a prophet and gives the prophet, inspire him to write 100,000 pages for the first time in history, think about it, or in like roughly 1,700 years, God raises up a new prominent prophet with a worldwide mission. Make no mistake, there is a reason. There is a reason. Listen to this. We have to skip over many things. We, we don't have time. But listen to this quote. It's powerful. Yeah, actually, I think we have it also. You, have, you should also have it on the paper. But anyway, it says here, in, in ancient times, God spoke to men and women by the mouth of the prophets and apostles. In these days, he speaks to them by the testimonies of his spirit. There was never a time when God instructed his people more earnestly than he instructs them now concerning his will and the course that he would have them pursue. But will they profit by his teachings? Will they receive his reproofs and heed his warnings? God will accept no partial obedience. He will sanction no compromise with self. That's the question, really. God is speaking. He's trying and trying and trying. It's a really beautiful passage how he writes. Basically, God describes himself as he rises up early to send prophets. Why do you rise up early? 
if you rise up early, earlier than usual, why did you do that? If you purposely rise up earlier than usual. It's because you have something important to do, right? Something you want to prioritize. I think by using this language, God says that he had something important. He, the first priority of his heart is that his people will be saved. That he has compassion on his people. And he sends messenger after messenger after messenger. He's trying and trying and trying to communicate with us. But it says in the end, it says in the end of the verse there, there was no remedy. If, if we don't listen, hey, what can, God is doing everything he can. But it's up to us. How do we want to respond to his earnest pleadings and appeals to us? Okay, so that's our, basically our fourth reason why this is important is God shares messengers of light for a reason. It's a reason why he raises up a new prophet with so many messengers, so much light. Another reason, this one we'll not really get into, but her writings unmask the devil's deadly delusions. You know, one of the things I said in Ephesians chapter 4, it says that we will not be shown here and there by every wind of doctrine. It's to protect against deceptions and confusion and false teachings. And, and, and according to Jesus, right, in Matthew 24 and many other passages, if there ever was a time where there would be confusion in the religious world, and false teaching and preaching and prophets and you name it, it's in the last days, in, in the time of the latter, and the time we are living in. If there ever was important to have this gift to help us to stay away, to, to see through the confusion, to stand on firm ground, to, it is today. It's some of these things, like the gift of prophecy, it's more important today than ever. The last time of this earth's history, the Bible says that it would be difficult, there would be confusion, and we see it even in our own church today. So many different opinions. It's very important in that sense. That's one reason why we really need this, to help us to stand firm, to not be deceived, because many uh, will think they are saved, but they will not be saved. That's really also the law of the They think they have everything, but they are blind, naked, and poor, and blind, and, 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 and they, are, they need to be converted, basically. Another reason is it will greatly help us to fulfill our purpose, but as a church and individuals, we don't really have time to get into that. She is a prophet for this generation, and her writings will be of even more vital force in the end. That some, some of the quotes is talking about that. I will hopefully read a few of them. Uh, her writings are indeed a God-appointed remedy for the Laodicea's perilous condition. I don't really have time to get so much into this, but this is very interesting. I believe really if not the remedy, the gift, the prophet that God has raised up in this generation is an important part of the remedy. God saw that we needed some extra help to see clearly, to understand the, the salvational related truth in the Bible, to get the knowledge we need to stand firm, to go through the last difficult times ahead of us. And God saw that we needed some extra help. Uh, reason number nine, the testimonies are, are given for our benefit. That's why we should carry. It's a blessing. It's for our it's testimonies for the church, not against the church. It's for our, our benefit. One of the quotes you have on the sheet here says, it's given by God, quote number four, for the benefit of his people. It's given for our benefit, for our blessing. Mm -hmm. And there's so many blessings there we haven't been benefited by. We'll hopefully have a few questions in then. Let's try to wrap up some things first. Her writings, and the, the last reason, her writings will play a key role in the finishing of the work. The more I study this and think about this, the more convinced I am. Really, if we need to finish the work, we need to follow the plan that God has laid out. He has told us so many things of how we should work, how we should reach people today. Um, for instance, you know the mission to the cities, um, you know that the initiative of the GC, right, starting in the big cities and stuff. This is based on many councils, right? We have given, been given through Ellen White, for instance. And think about it. This is really things we should have done like hundred years ago. And even you know the general conference president at the time, A.G. Daniels, like. She appealed again and again, but they didn't really care. She, 
even eventually came to visit her, like traveled far to visit her in Elmshaven, but she didn't even want to meet him. And she said, really, when you are converted, I will talk with you. When you are like, it, it was like, eventually he, you know, changed and improved and stuff, but he just shows that we, we haven't, you know, followed the plan like we should. If we would really do it, we would finish the work and we would go home. To finish the work, we need to follow the plan. That's another reason why this is very important. And that's really, you know, this is a call. I'm trying to, to contribute to a call to receive God's gift and go home. To wrap up, to finish the work. Now, I want to, to read a few quotes with you. Um, here, uh, some, this is really some powerful quotes. And this is just what she herself says. And, you know, if God raises up a prophet, that person should be able to help us to, to see what, how God wants to use the person. Which right? always should have, I believe, makes sense. That God will be the one telling us also how we should relate to the gift of prophecy. Let's read a few quotes here. Um, we can start with number one. Abundant light has been given to our people in these last days. Whether or not my life is spared, my writings will constantly speak and their work will go forward as long as time shall last. That's very interesting. So it's not like when she died, oh, that's it. She was a prophet for that generation. Well, we don't need her today. No. They will constantly speak and the work will go forward as long as time shall last. And uh, so that means also today, right? Uh, quote number two. Physically, I have always been a broken vessel, and yet in my old age, the Lord continues to move upon my, me by His Spirit to write the most important books, listen to this, the most important books that has ever come before the churches and the world. So, I think this is something we should pay attention to, right? The Lord is evidencing what He can do through weak vessels, the lives that He spares, I will use to His glory. And when He may see fit to let me rest, His messengers shall be of even more uh, vital force than when the frail instrumentality through whom they were delivered was living. They will be even more important, even more essential, even more powerful in the end or after her death and in her time. And when you study and learn, don't have time to go into it, but how important role she played to, to, to protect against deceptions and confusion in the church in that time. And, and you see an important role she played in, in the work of the church to start health work, to start educational work, to move into new fields, to, to recognize the world field. When you see the powerful influence she had in that time, they had board meeting and suddenly they got a letter and they solved the difficult issue and they knew what to do. There are so many powerful stories. This is really significant. It would be even more important in, in this time. Let's read the two more quotes. Um, quote number five. Um, yeah, we'll, we have actually read this. As Andrew's near, it becomes more important to have a clear understanding of the nature and influence of the testimonies. Now, let's, let's read number six. This is very interesting. This, this is something I, I didn't really know this quote. Um, I, I kind of got, came over it as I was working on the book. It's really powerful. It says, the volumes of the spirit of prophecy, basically the history of redemption, which we're talking about here, and also the testimonies, that's the testimonies for the church. So these two series she says, should be introduced into some of the Sabbath-keeping families. Now, every Sabbath-keeping family, it says. And the brethren should know their value and, but, and be urged to read them. It was not the wisest plan to place these books at a low figure and have only one set in a church. They should be in the library of every family. And listen to this. And you should never read them. Or you should read a little bit. And you're fine. You don't really need to read them. No. They should be read again and again. Let them, and listen to this, let them be kept where they can be read by many 
and let them be warned out in being read by all the neighbors. So basically, she says, the history of redemption, this series with, this beautiful series, right, with, what is it, five books, right? Beginning Patrick's the Prophet, going through basically Bible commentary through the Bible. Very beautiful, but actually also, if you don't know, starts with these three words, God is love, ends with this word, three words, God is love. That's really the story of salvation, the story of the Bible. Beautiful, beautifully described. This series and nine volumes of the testimonies. And right now, I'm reading them through, I'm soon in testimonies, I'm through actually, you have them audio, you can get them audio on Audioverse, for instance. And so I actually often listen while I'm working as an electrician. And, and, and we should read them again and again. I think, you know, even people who, you know, this is just one example that shows us, I think, even we who believe in the white, we haven't, I think, we benefited. We haven't many times maybe seen the importance of this gift as we should. We haven't been benefited and blessed by it as we should. Like if you, if you want to, are about to get into a relationship, read what Prophet has told us about these things. If you are getting a child right here, Read Child Gunnels, or if you are starting a home. Like, there's so many councils that we don't always benefit from. If you are working as a teacher, read the book Education and other councils. Or if you work into health work, read the councils she has given there. So many times, you know, we just don't know. It's, in English, they are called, they are called the, 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 Ellen White books are known as the Little Red books, they're usually red, you know, but uh, in this wordplay, too often, sadly, they are the little red or the unread books, and, and hopefully that will change. Uh, you know, it's 100 years ago she died, I think it's high time, she died on my birthday, by the way, um, and I think it's high time to, to fully receive God's gift and go home, and to really appreciate and benefit from this gift as we should. Um, and, and you just think about this. Like, if we really believe that she is a prophet for this generation, that we need, that is important, she writes that... Oh, why didn't we read that quote, actually? Um, for instance, I think we have it here. Let me see if we find it. Such a reminder of another quote. Um, she says that we greatly need this gift. Basically, I don't know if I find it now, but anyway, uh, I can find it later. But she says we greatly need, we need it, it's a reason. It, it, it's like, um, some people say, you know, what is quote, uh, you know, what she says, we don't need her if we study the Bible, and if, you start, if you read the Bible. It's very misunderstood if you study it in context and not the time to get into it. But I think it's kind of like saying, saying to a blind person, you know, if you could see, you wouldn't need that stick to, to walk, to find a way. So that's true. But the solution for that blind person is not to throw away the stick and say, Yeah, I don't need a stick. Let's go. And he runs and hits the way, the wall, and just falls down. You know, and, and I think the reason is we are blind. We are lukewarm. We are allowed to see. And we live so far away, completely different time, completely different culture, so many misconceptions, so many misunderstandings. We are, we are, I think God just saw that we needed another prophet. And if you think about this, really, if we were really getting it, we wouldn't need more than the 11th first chapter of Genesis. Pretty much all our doctrines are in there, actually. But we wouldn't really need anything more. If the Israelites got it, they wouldn't need more than the Ten Commandments. But, but they were just so slow to see the principles and to put them in practice that they needed the whole law of Moses. If they were really paying attention to Moses, they wouldn't need Isaiah and Jeremiah and all this. It's because they didn't get it. 
become new prophets, not really to get, give you a lot of new light, but to expand and, and elaborate and help you to see and get how to put these principles in practice in your lifetime. And that's the same with Ellen White. It's not really any new stuff, but she just helped us to see, you know, we think that we have everything, we are perfectly fine, and we just don't realize that we are many times just completely going against the will of God. So that's, you know, um, we'll just, I will just share one story and then we can take some questions. Because I think this is, a, maybe I've heard it, but I think it's a good illustration that shows, you know, Jeriah Smith, one of the old pioneers, he put it like this. Imagine with me that we go on a journey. And we're about to go out on a journey, you know, of sailing, you know, with a ship. And the owner of the ship, he gives us a book of directions and it tells us that in this book you have sufficient instructions to come to your destination. You have everything in it. So now, okay, they take the book, they start on a journey, they go out with the ship, they start sailing, and, and they open the book and they read this book, and, and then they find uh, it's actually more like just general principles, you know, uh, that is to guide them. But then it says, in the end of the journey, the end of the journey would be especially difficult, especially perilous. But in this time, to help you to the very end, so that you will be able to come to your final destination, I will send, I will send a, a, a pilot that will meet you. You must listen to him. Listen to him, follow him, and you will safely reach the harbor. So they go out on the journey, they follow the instructions, and, and just as promised, when they come to the last part of the journey, this pilot shows up. Now when they come there, some people say, ah, it's, it's fine, we have a book of directions. That's fine with us. Let's, let's just go with them. But some people want to listen to the pilot. Now, who is really following the book of directions? Of course, those who want to listen to the pilot that the book told them, right? Uh, sometimes you think, you know, oh, um, you know, I believe in Ellen White. I read Ellen White because I believe in the Bible. That's the bottom line. And because I believe in the Bible, I care about what she writes. And I, and I pay attention to it. That's really the bottom line. And I think, you know, God saw in this, especially this difficult part of our history, we needed a prophet. We needed an extra help. And, and I think some, Satan, I think the devil, sometimes realizes that better than we do. And that's why he says, hey, my last exception. I need to put my focus on this. And that's, you know, Revelation 30, 17. 1217, he's enraged at the woman and he makes war on this remnant, and I think especially on the commandments and the spirit of prophecy, which is really separating us from the others, and it's really foundational. If he can shape that, he's good. He's good. And, and in so many ways, even those who believe in Ellen White, you know, it's only misconceptions and this and that. We don't, as he says, we don't have a clear understanding, you know, about all these issues and all this confusion and, 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 and so I think really this is something we need to to, to tell, help people to understand, to encourage people to be benefited by these gifts, and to study ourselves, and to pray that it will not happen in any way that is made of non-effect. It's not that people will not believe in her at all, but it will not have the effect it was supposed to have. And in so many ways, I believe we see that today. And that's like, one good thing with that is this, it tells us that we live in the very end of this verse history. Uh, so it's sad, but it's also encouraging. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, 
please visit www.audioverse.org.